Welcome to the Diving Pod. I'm Steve Volmecki, the owner of Springboards and More. We're the country's leader in springboard and platform diving equipment and supplies, and your number one source for Duraflex diving equipment. We are the preferred equipment supplier to USA Diving, and we took care of the diving boards at the 2020 Tokyo Olympic Games. And I am Heath Calhoun. And I am Aaron Rooney. Once again, this podcast is brought to you by Sideline Scout. Video replay is the most important tool in diving. And Sideline Scout has perfected Poolside Live. It's on all the major pool decks across the country. It's super, super user-friendly with their pause, rewind, frame-by-frame to hone in on the key details. Um, You know, it's really, really easy to use. Like I said, with the Apple remote, the controls are phenomenal. It's really fun to use. And, uh, you know, user-friendly all the way around. So get over to sidelinescout.com, find yourself a poolside live package, and get hooked up with the best in the business. So just to jump right in here, Steve. So take us through your diving journey. We talked a little bit before. um, What prompted you to kind of get involved into the judging world and officiating and where you are now and how you got there? Well, how I got into diving originally was when I was a kid at the Blue S YMCA, my parents required that we took swim lessons Mm -hmm. and the swim lessons were in the morning and there was like an hour lull between the end of swim lessons and the start of open swim. So there was these diving lessons going on. So I asked my parents if I could, you know, I didn't want to just sit around for an hour. So I got into diving lessons and I just fell in love with the sport. So, uh, it, it all started there. Um, and then I was a diver in high school and, and I was a diver in college. I was never very good or anything. I never, you know, went on to do anything great, but I just loved the sport. I started coaching. Uh, my first coaching job was uh, in 1984 at Kenwood Swim Club. Uh, one of my teachers in high school ran a bunch of uh, pool companies uh, or he ran a pool company that had a bunch of little summer swim clubs and he would hire all of the, the kids on the team to be lifeguards. And then he called me one day and said, hey, there's a swim club that's looking for a diving coach. Would you be interested? I can work your schedule so that you can uh, coach in the morning and you can lifeguard in the afternoon. I was like, great, let's do it. So that was 1984. I did it for one year. And then another swim club in the in the near vicinity called me and said, hey, we'd like for you to coach at our club. That was 1985. And and I'm still there. I'll be starting my 38th summer at the Indian Hill Club. That's awesome. uh, It's a great gig. But then. I was diving in the, um, I don't want to call it diving lessons, but it was the diving program at the University of Cincinnati, which was run by Greg Gunn. And uh, Greg and Charlie Casuto, they coached the Cincinnati Stingrays. And then in 1986, Greg uh, was hired at Princeton University, where he remained for 30 years, and I took over Greg's spot. So I was the 13 and under coach for the Cincinnati Stingrays, and then Charlie was the 14 and up coach. And in addition to that, I had a program called Dive Cincinnati. And at the time, in the late 80s and early 90s, it was one of the largest diving programs in the country. We probably had about 160 divers oh. and uh, was coaching seven days a week. And I mean, it was just it, it was just full on diving. That's all I did. Um, when I got married in 1998, the coaching lifestyle was um, not conducive to um, <laughs> Uh, a good marriage because my wife worked from like eight to four and I coached from like two to 10 and I was gone like every weekend. So I was looking for a way to 
um, maybe start backing out of coaching a little bit and supplement my income. So that's where Springboards and More got its start. And it was right about the time when um, uh, e-commerce was coming into play. And uh, a buddy of mine down in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, Woody Franklin was getting into that. So we kind of started brainstorming and we came up with Springboards and More. And um, it's just, it's been wonderful. So uh, it, it started taking off and I started cutting back on my coaching and, and I do Springboards and More full time. And I coach a little bit on the side. In the summer, I coach at the swim club uh, for my 38th summer. And, and I do some, some uh, we have, still have the Dive Cincinnati program, but it's not nearly as big as it used to be. Sure. So, um, so a couple, couple of follow-ups I had, uh, it sounds like we're all on the same page as far as, you know, being good divers, but not necessarily absolutely the top of the level, the best. So curious, where did you attend college and what was that decision like? Well, I went to Xavier university here in Cincinnati and they didn't have a diving team per se. Um, I was the only diver and they didn't have a coach and they had a one meter it was a Duraflex board. It was a non-cheese board on a pipe stand. It was uphill. And oh boy. we never practiced there. So what I did was I was training with the University of Cincinnati divers because Xavier University and the University of Cincinnati are about three, three miles apart. And so I would come down and dive with the UC diving team. And then as soon as practice was over, I'd start coaching with the Stingrays because they would be coming in about that time. So sure. um that's kind of my diving thing. Uh, but I, I, you know, like I say, I wasn't a very good diver. I just really enjoyed it. And uh, our Xavier University, a lot of the teams that, that we competed against did not have divers. So the mere fact that we had a diver that could dive one meter and three meter, we scored team point, or I scored team points uh, for the team, mm-hmm. mostly because the other team didn't have divers. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my, my next one here, you kind of alluded to it uh, in your, in your answer there about how your diving journey, but what inspired you to start springboards and more, if you could go into more detail. Um, I was excited, right? I mentioned before we got on here that uh, Steve supplied my high school with diving boards right when I got on here and uh, the, the process was super easy. It was really fun to deal with somebody who I could tell their passion for the sport was there. So that was that was enjoyment uh, right away starting my coaching journey. I think the biggest thing was um, there, there was no place where you could go to get diving stuff. If you wanted a diving board, you went to here. If you wanted judging scorecards, you went here. If you wanted a mat, you went here. If you wanted a twisting belt, you went there. So the, the idea behind springboards or more was to bring it all together to one place Uh, like a one-stop shop for springboard and platform diving equipment. And then over the years, we just will find something that we'll see a coach using, or we hear hear about and we'll add it to the website. And then things that we put on the website that maybe go out of vogue, for example, you know, nobody buys videos anymore. We used to sell a lot of like Ron O'Brien videos and all, you know, that kind of stuff, but nobody buys videos anymore. So those are kind of falling off the site, but you know, stuff like overhead spotting, putting overhead spotting over your diving boards is really big now. That's that's huge. Almost every new pool that gets built puts overhead spotting over their over their diving boards. Cool. Hey, so so a follow up question kind of in that vein is, you know, I think we've seen so many things kind of stay fresh. But like what is coming in terms of like 
maybe any advances in equipment or things that you're like, wow, that's pretty neat. I need to learn more about that, that maybe diving coaches aren't taking advantage of as much at this time that you think might become a bigger thing in the future. Well, certainly um, overhead spotting uh, over water is becoming really big. Um, it's not terribly expensive. And as you know, that is, it, it hugely affects how quickly a diver can learn to dive with less fear and less chance of injury. Um, sideline scout. I mean, that's been a huge, you know, we used to sell TiVos, but I mean, that's like 1960s kind of stuff. This <laughs> sideline scout technology is so fabulous. Uh, it, it's, it's great. That kind of stuff. You know, there's just, whenever we see or hear something from a coach, we'll start to investigate it to see if that's something that might, is it just a flash in the pan or is it something mm -hmm. that, um, you know, might really take, take hold in the diving community and become something that a lot of coaches would like to use. And then like the somersaulting chair, you've seen the right. somersaulting chairs. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. Finally found those. And uh, so now those are on our website and those are starting to become a popular item. Awesome. Awesome. That's great to hear. Um, you know, I think it's really awesome. So Aaron and I were watching uh, D1 nationals and we had heard your name as the head referee for uh, the NCAA division one meet for at least men's tower. I don't know if you were for all three events, but um, how did you take steps into getting involved at that level at the officiating the NCAA division one level? And what prompted you to want to get involved in that? Well, it's, it's um, up until two, I think it was 2007 was the first year that they hit, they hired outside people to be judges. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, the coaches judged the national. I mean, could you imagine if wow. Bob Knight and um, uh, Mike Krzyzewski were the referees for their own game? <laughs> wow. So, yeah, I, did, I had no idea. Yes. So the coaches used to judge. Uh, all the meets and um, they finally decided the first meet that I judged as a quote unquote professional was the big 10 championships in 2007. And that was at Indiana university. And I was so nervous. I mean, I, I could barely, you know, here were all these, you know, there was Vince Panzano and Dick Kimball and there was, you know, Hobie, you know, all these different, the different coaches that I had heard about. And I was somehow I got picked to judge this thing and I was terrified and nervous, but as I got to do more and more, and like I said, the, the only way that you can, um, you, you can't watch a video or read a book and learn how to judge. The only way to learn how to judge is you got to judge diving. Mm -hmm. And the more big meets you get into, it just becomes a little bit easier. You start getting more confidence. Um, so that very same year was the first year that the NCAA hired outside judges. And I was selected to do that as well. Um, so that was even more of a a nail biter you know I you know here I am at the NCAA championships I, I mean I was terrified beyond belief but um it just you know you kind of fall into a rhythm you, you you default to what you see and um I feel like I have a pretty good eye for diving and an eye for detail um so I have judged at every NCAA championship since 2007 and then each year they pick a referee and so I was picked to be the ref in 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022. In 2020, we didn't have a meet because of COVID. Um, so, cool. yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been quite a journey. I mean, I look back on, on all those, those meets and, and uh, you know, the, the, the team of judges we had and, and the fun times that we had and the, and the, the best thing about judging diving 
the best thing about judging diving is you have a front row seat to some great diving. Yeah. Spectacular. So, so, so our listeners know this, but you may not, I judge division two nationals Okay. and you're, you hit the nail on the head. The best part about it is you get a front row seat. But then what I would say is the second best part is that panel is so much fun to be around and so much Absolutely. fun to hang out with. And, you know, after the events are over, it's all the judges and we confer and we say, Oh, what about this? Oh, we missed that. Or, Oh, yep. you know, you, you got that one, right. I, I missed that angle. And just going out to the restaurants. Yeah. That's just such a blast and so much fun to be with all those like-minded people. It, it, it is. It, you're exactly right. The debriefings uh, after the meet were spectacular. We would come back to the pool, go to somebody's room and everybody come and gather and we talk about the, the day's events and, and the good stuff and the bad stuff and, and uh, plan for the next day and, and we'd go out to restaurants. I mean, it was, you're right. You get a front row seat and you get the great camaraderie of your team of divers or team yeah. of judges, sorry. Yeah. So um, outside of the NCAA, have you ever done any other big meets as either a panel member or the head official uh, international? Yes. Um, I, I have judged, I judged the 2008 Olympic trials, the 2012 Olympic trials, the 2020 Olympic trials. I was the referee of the 2016 Olympic trials with Kelly McCormick. Uh, we were the co-refs of that meet. I've also, I've had the, I mean, great honor of judging. I, I judged the junior Pan Am meet in Cuba, which was really cool. Uh, going to Cuba was spectacular. I, I was at the junior world championships in Russia um, I've been to Mexico. Um, I, I've been a, around and had the opportunity to to judge some meets all around the world, which is really spectacular. Cool. That, that's so. For for maybe like I'll ask it because I know Aaron would normally ask, but for someone like Aaron who is starting at the Division Two level, how can he go about getting involved at that level and working his way to those meets? How can a young judge work towards that? Well, what's, what's really great is USA Diving has a judging committee, and it's run by Koki Smith. So Koki was the, um, she was the Olympic judge for the U.S. in 2016 in Rio, and she's on the FINA Technical Diving Committee. So the first thing you have to do is, and, and she might be a good person to get on your podcast yeah. so, to get a lot of insight on the judging aspect, because she does a fabulous job. Um, but um, <clears throat> the first thing you do is you attend a FINA judging school. And the FINA judging schools, uh, they have a domestic FINA judging school, and then they also have international FINA judging schools. You have to, and then every time you judge a FINA meet, you get observed by a, either a referee or a FINA official who just, all they're doing is they're judging the judges. And so you have to have a certain uh, score or higher to remain uh, on there. Uh, the, the sport of diving has been at the forefront of, of quality judging. You know, you've seen some of the past Olympic things with the, the ice skating and the gymnastics where there's some, some serious uh, shenanigans going on, but diving has really done a great job of weeding out uh, the judges because every time you judge, you're judged by other people. And if you don't hit a certain marker, you don't get asked to judge again. So it really... Um, makes you focus and, and, you know, they, they, the best of the best. So uh, you, with the NCAA thing, you know, what you're, what you're doing, Aaron, uh, starting division two, you know, I would try to get in on some, um, some conference meets and always put your name in for NCAA division one, because as you start building a resume of judging, they'll look at that and go, oh my gosh, this guy has judged 
you know, he's did division two, three times. He did the big tens. He did the secs. Let's bring him on to the uh, NCAA division one. And, and, and then, you know, you keep going from there. Sure. Uh, you attend a FINA judging school internationally, and then you, you, you know, you pass that course and then you're on the list. The problem in the United States is there's quite a few people and not a lot of meets. So, yeah. you know, you could be FINA certified, but you might not get many opportunities to judge. Well, the way I see it too is if you put your name in the hat multiple times, multiple years, at some point when I'm, you know, 45, I might get the nod. And, um, you know, building a 15 year judging resume, uh, that, that definitely doesn't scare me whatsoever. No, no, it's, it's, uh, you, you'll, you'll get to see diving at all levels. I mean, I remember coming home from the 2016 Olympic trials. The, the day after I got back, I had to referee the summer club champ meet. And you talk about, <laughs> I, mean, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that might've been the most difficult thing I've ever done in judging is go from the Olympic trials to the summer club champ meet. Yeah, Especially those kids who, you know, they all year long that their, their twisting dive is getting sixes and sevens. And then you see it and you're like, that's a failed dive, you, yeah. you know, and you got to nope. call a failed dive on some kid that's been getting sixes on it all year and they don't understand and the parents don't understand. And it's, 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 uh, it's quite a challenge. That That's usually me. I get, I, I judge high school, obviously most frequently I coach high school. And so every once in a while, I'll see that dive that either over or under twist so severely and, and I'll throw a zero. And, and then I, I hear the gasps from the crowd, like, of course. What, what is he, what is he <laughs> yes. doing? <laughs> yes that's awesome yeah that's uh that, that happens uh, but <laughs> but but you know the the thing that they drum into you at the at the judging schools is that the judging panel works as a team so there's going to be high scores there's going to be low scores but the goal of the team is to get the correct three scores for each dive right. and you know judging diving is not like um a swim meet it's not a stopwatch it's mm-hmm. an opinion it's it's your opinion and you might be seated on one side of the pool, other side of the pool. Um, you might like divers that, you know, have prettier form. You might like divers that rip better. You know, everything's different. Everything's subjective. So that's why there's seven judges. And the goal of the judging panel is to get the three correct scores. And that's, uh, I think that's a really good way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So as an official, when you sit down and you see where diving is at, whether that's USA diving for age groupers, our elite group, what do you see as an official that are the easiest places that you're taking points away from divers that they could improve? What are the most common things you're seeing that could help maybe our high school or USA divers that are going to listen be like, I can make that correction and work on that all week and improve their scores that you see commonly mistaked? Well, for sure. Vertical entry, most important. Um, Good form. I mean, you, you, you can't get... You can't get a great score if you don't go in straight with good form. Okay. I mean, it's not going to happen. Um, so a lot of times you'll see, it, you don't just score the rip. I mean, the rip is nice, but it's not everything. You've got to go vertical. You've got to have good form. That's leg straight, feet together, toes pointed. And you, um, then you, the, then the things that separate the really good divers from the not so good divers are the grace and the beauty and the technique and all that stuff that all comes into account that when, when, when you're judging diving, you take the overall impression of the dive and, um, but got to go vertical. You got to have good form and it's nice to have a nice entry on the bottom. So those are the, I mean, I would say the three things that 
most often you see, especially in younger divers, they don't go in straight, their feet are apart, their knees are bent, their feet are flat. Um, and then it's hard to get a good entry if you're not going in straight. So, you know, those are, I harp on it all the time in summer club diving is, you know, number one, you've got to go in straight. You've got to go in straight. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. Yep. So my next one here, I was going to try to do a rapid fire round, but the more I wrote out and the more I typed, the, uh, the less I liked the idea of rapid fire rather than just kind of going in a little bit more depth on each of these. So we're going to, I'm calling this either, or would you rather see a dive that's done very, very high, but a little bit out or a dive that's just a little bit lower in amplitude, but tighter to the board? Um, again, I would say that goes to overall impression. Um, if it's sometimes a dive that's low might look a little closer than it really is, you know, it might not scare you, but it, it might make you flinch a little bit. Um, I, I always look for, um, you know, number one, did the dive go in straight and a dive that's, that's a little bit higher and a little bit out that goes in straight with good form and a good entry might, from me, my perspective, I might score that a little bit better than a dive that's a little bit cut off, a little bit low, may, maybe a hair short, didn't have the drop to the, to the water that some of the other dives did, but really it, it's on a dive by dive basis because yeah, two people could do the exact same dive and do them totally differently, but you could arrive at the same score. For, yeah. for different reasons you know i mean it's it's every dive is is unique and having that front row seat and you know being on the other side of the pool you might see it differently you know at, at georgia tech where the ncaa's are they have these big windows behind the one yes. side of the pool. It's, it's sometimes you miss you, you lose a little bit of the dive and it, it makes it a little more challenging to judge but you just have to you know focus hard and and, and, and keep your eye on those things. Yeah, that was interesting. You say the dives can be totally different, but you arrive at the same score. There's, there's very frequent times where I'm looking at a competition and I'll say to myself, well, that was the same, but different. And yeah. that's, that's exactly how I would describe that. You know, yeah. they're, they're completely different dives, but they were both six and a half. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it happens um, all the time. All right, next one here. Do you deduct more for a split tuck or flexed feet? Well, I would say right off the bat, it's probably flex feet because that's easy to see. Anybody can see that. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of a rookie mistake. I mean, if you're a top level diver, you certainly are not going to have flat feet. Um, sometimes a split tuck, you can't see from the side. Uh, divers, some of the better divers are pretty good at camouflaging that. Uh, and as judges, we're, we're kind of taught or instructed, you're not supposed to watch warmups. Um, yeah, right. You have a, you're just watching the competition. You know, so so when the judges are not out on the pool deck during the warmups watching, oh, so and so is having a problem with their twister. Or, My gosh, did you see the size of that split tuck on that diver? Um, we don't watch that kind of stuff. We we're sitting in our judges' room, we're debriefing, and then we come out on the pool deck five minutes before the event starts. We sit in our chairs and boom, we judge. But I would have to say probably flat feet, flex feet are is more of a, a hit for me because it's so obvious and it, it really detracts from, from the diving, in my opinion, especially yeah. if you can't see a split tuck from the side. Yeah. That, that makes a ton of sense. Um, last one here is how do you handle dives done to the side of the board? I've heard a, a couple of varying opinions here, and I just want to hear what you have to say about that. Usually a dive that's off to the side looks crooked where the judges are sitting. So Whenever, like whenever I ref, even though I'm not actually judging, I write my score down as if I were judging. 
and I'll write little notes. I might say OTS, off to side, uh, TW, twisted. Um, and then when we get to the debriefing, you know, it wouldn't be unusual for if there's four judges on one side of the pool and three judges on the other. And like at Georgia Tech, the judges could be way over there. They mm -hmm. might not be able to tell that that dives off to the side. So there's, it wouldn't be unusual to see five and a half, six, five and a half, seven and a half, eight, seven and a half. And people are like, what in the world are you looking at? But it's a side, it's a side difference. And I'll look at my notes and say, you know, I wrote down that that was off to the side and the judges over there might not have seen that. Sure. Um, so off to the side usually results in the dive looking a little crooked in most cases. If the dive is off to the side and in front of the board, like if they would have been in front of the board, they would have hit the board. That's a, that's a major deduction because that is dangerously close and you have to score it as if they were right in front of the board and, and even hit the board. Sure. Yeah. We used, uh, we, we were told uh, a, a couple of times to use a lot of times those pools have sprayers. And if the diver lands kind of in the zone of the sprayer, whether it's straddling the two one meters or two three meters, you can see where the sprayer is hitting the water and then where the diver hits the water. And a lot of times, you know, if, like I said, the sprayer is in the middle, that diver landed in the middle of the boards. So yeah. that's, uh, that was a visual cue that I was, I kind of picked up on over the years. That's, that's a good one. Yeah, that's certainly definitely a good one. So, so as we go to this, uh, this next question, Steve, you know, can you take us through what it is like to prepare for an NCAA meet as the head referee or head official in terms of what preparation you're doing to lead up to the meet, choosing assistant referees, the panel, and, and maybe elaborate a little bit more as to how that panel works as a team? Sure. Um, I was very fortunate this year that the referee of the women's meet was Lisa Rowinski, and she happens to live 15 minutes from me. Nice. So we got together starting probably, I'll say three months before the NCAA championships, we were getting together and we were reviewing the rules. We were making, um, I'll say like cliff notes of uh, all these different scenarios, um, any rule, anything that's different between FINA and NCAA. Um, and we put together some nice packets and we were, studying we were we would she would call me or I would call her and say hey what would you do if this happened and we'd be like you know that's a good question and maybe we'd call Koki or maybe we'd call uh, Kelly McCormick or, or uh, Julie Allring who was the Olympic judge for the United States in Tokyo and say if you saw this what would you do and we were coming up with just we did a lot of that kind of brainstorming and scenarios and um, so that was that was a lot of good preparation um, you know, but knowing the rules, um, the, the, I would say the most difficult part about being a referee is everybody knows the rules or should know the rules, but applying the right rule at the right time under pressure is, you know, that, that, you know, you got to really, you know, be ready to do it and, 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 and know what you're doing. Um, I always try to pick an assistant referee, uh, this year, the NCAA selected an assistant referee for the meet. And, and this year, my assistant referee for the meet was Mark Faber. He was actually a two-time Olympic judge for the Netherlands. He now lives in the United States. But then for each panel, I selected an assistant referee for each panel. And they were the assistant ref for the prelim semifinals and finals. And I always sat them across the pool directly across from me. So the assistant referee always calls the failed dives. 
it's up to the referee to confirm the failed dive. So both have to agree in order for it to be a failed dive. Um, if the assistant referee calls a failed dive and the referee thinks, no, let's score it, the assistant referee would give it a zero and everybody else would be free to score it the way they want it. But um, I always try to pick an assistant referee with tons of experience um, and, you know, that, that have been in the hot seat, if you will. Um, and so I think we, I had Mark Faber was my one meter assistant ref. Um, Kelly McCormick was the assistant ref for the three meter and Julie Allring was the assistant ref for the platform events at the NCAA. So we had, I mean, probably a hundred years of experience um, on the panel, which was good. That's awesome. You know, one question that I did have for a follow-up is you mentioned um, some of the rule differences between NCAA and FINA. What rules jump off the page to you that are maybe like a lot of divers wouldn't know off the top of their head that are differences between the two rule sets? Well, the NCAA has adopted um, FINA rules with a few exceptions. Um, one exception is in the NCAA, you can change a dive or a dive position on the board or any time without penalty. So you can get up on the board and say, I want to change my 107B to a 109C. And they'll change it. Boom, you can do it. You can't do that in FINA. Um, you can change your platform level in the NCAA without yeah. penalty. Yeah. Um, uh, so those are, I mean, those are two of the main ones, but the majority of the, um, uh, the majority of the NCAA rules, they follow FINA. Wonderful. Wonderful. So, and then kind of our last question before we get into our signature questions here is, you know, you have made an awesome career out of what it seems like just kind of following your passion. And that's something we talk a lot about with our college kids of, I always say, just follow something you're passionate about, something you love to do. And you're kind of a great example for that. What was it about this sport that got you hooked and just continued you to follow your passion? You know, that is a great question. Um, a funny side note to that, Rick Schiavone, who was the longtime coach at Stanford, who now coaches in Australia, he, every time he'd see me on a pool deck, he goes, I can't believe you are making a living and diving, doing what you're doing. <laughs> and I saw him on the pool deck in Tokyo and he came up and he goes, I still can't believe you're doing what you're doing. <laughs> you know, he, he just, when, when I, first started that he thought that was going to be the biggest abysmal failure but um I, I i don't know what it was about the sport of diving i just i just fell in love with the sport and even though i wasn't a good diver i just i love the sport i love to watch it i love to judge it i love to coach it um i just you know it just it's a great family that's what's so unique about the sport of diving is you know it's not a very big sport but all around the world i know people all around the world that if i happen to be in you know Australia or something, I've got three people at least that I can call and say, Hey, I'm in Australia. Can I swing by and, you know, stay at your, stay at your house. And, you know, there's people like that all over the world. It's, it's a really, it's a really good close knit family. And, uh, I just, I just, I just fell in love with the sport and that's, that's what I've done. I've never really had any other job other than the sport of diving. So that's, that's incredible. Yeah. Really cool. Well, we'll get into our signature questions here. We like to ask everybody, we treat failure like an opportunity for growth. You know, you're either winning or you're learning. So in your life, in your career, what has been your favorite failure or best opportunity for growth? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, you know, certainly as a coach, you know, you, you, you make some bad calls. <laughs> um, 
you know, I always like to joke that uh, you can make a hundred great calls in a row, but the only one the diver remembers is the, is the one bad one. <laughs> um, you know, the same with judging, you know, I mean, you, you're, it's subjective. You, you're gonna, you're gonna miss, you're gonna miss a dive, you know, you're gonna miss a dive. You're gonna be out of, you know, everybody gives it an eight and you give it a six or, or everybody gives it a six and you give it an eight and a half, you know, there's going to be those situations, but um, the, the best part about that is you get together as a group of judges afterwards, you talk about it and you're like, you know what? I didn't see that. I, I missed that. Or it, it, that's a great opportunity for growth. Um, I like to talk to coaches and, you know, what, you know, what are you looking to get in diving? You know, how can we make it easier for you to get what you need to improve your program? Uh, stuff like that. I, I, um, yeah, I mean, certainly I've had some, failure moments in business. I've had some failure moments in coaching. I've had some failure moments in judging. We all do. Uh, but it's uh, like you said, you know, you, you learn from your mistakes and uh, you, you know, you, you try to improve upon it each time you do it for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So my next question here, usually we ask um, whatever entity you're involved with within the sport of diving, you know, what can they do in, to improve? So off the top of my head with NCAA, and, um, you know, you judging so frequently at the national level, what can the NCAA do to improve in your opinion? I just, I feel like everybody can always improve at, at, at something and on some level. So is there anything that sticks out to you from the NCAA mm. perspective? You know, the NCAA usually does a pretty good job of everything they do. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes the events get pretty long, like the prelim events, you know, they have 50 plus divers in it and it's, it's three hours. That's really tough to sit there for three hours and, and, and judge diving and try to stay focused. Um, and, and I understand why they do it. And, um, you know, I, 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 I can't really think of anything that I, that, that sticks out in my mind of like a major improvement that they could do. Sure. I would say that's more of a, a question to ask a coach because they're in it day to day where, you know, I'm, I'm there at the national championships and, you know, we're, we're not really supposed to be around talking shop with the coaches. We're supposed to be kind of off by ourselves. And, and so that's one thing I do miss about not coaching much anymore is, is just the banter on the, on the deck and, and, you know, hearing what's going on and talking shop and stuff like that. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah. I've, I've picked up on the vibe, you know, I, I'm still super young and I love being involved in any way that I possibly can with the sport. And so I got coaching friends and I have athlete friends still. And it's like, okay, when I'm there judge, I, I yeah. Mingling is probably not the greatest idea. It, it's bad <laughs> optics. It's bad. It optics. Is. That's, yeah. And that's what it is. And, and, you know, I've, I'm starting to get the bigger picture, but yeah, early in my judging career, I was, uh, I did not learn that lesson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so as we kind of go into these next set of questions, you know, as a coach, what is your favorite drill to do with your athletes, whether it's dry land, water, whatever kind of dealer's choice, what's your favorite drill to do with your athletes? Honestly, my favorite drill that I do every day, even with my summer club kids who just do it off the one meter board is I just call them fall dives, Le learning how to fall in the water straight with your feet together, your toes pointed on a flat hand. I'm, I'm shocked at the number of people that I see at higher level meets junior net, you know, juniors that they don't go in straight, their feet are apart. They don't grab a flat hand. 
I mean, like basic diving stuff. Yep. And so every day, my summer club and, and every day at Dive Cincinnati, we every diver starts practice with several fall dives. And the goal is to learn how to go in straight with good form and a good entry. I love it. Love it. Yeah. So next one is, uh, what is the best advice you have either given or received up to this point? And it doesn't have to just be um, athletic related. It could be whatever you think is the best advice you've been gotten or received. Well, I would say it's find something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> and I think the sport of diving has done, you know, my, my kids, they see me, you know, I'm always working, but I'm, I'm not, I don't call it work. I just, I'm doing my diving thing, you know, and, uh, it's, uh, it's just, it's fun. It's just hard to believe I've been, I've been in the sport for like 40 years already. It's just amazing. It just seems like yesterday I was this little shivering kid at the YMCA, (laughs) you know, learning this inward dive thing, you know, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, just follow, you know, find something you love to do and, and, and do it with passion. You'll, you'll never work a day in your life. I love it. I love it. That, that just seems so, uh, so on brand for, uh, for everything we've talked about today. Yeah. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, the last question I'd like to ask is who do you think we should interview next? Who would be an interesting person for us to talk to, to kind of continue to dive into the sport of diving? Oh gosh, I could think of a lot of people. Um, Dave, your coach, Dave Rovat would be a good one. I think, um, <laughs> Uh, maybe talking to Koki, uh, Koki Smith would be a good one uh, to, to, to really get more in depth with the judging and, and how it's run at a national and international level and how the selections and all that stuff are made. Um, I would suggest um, maybe talking to Julie Allring. Uh, she was the Olympic judge. She could give you some great perspective on what it took to reach the pinnacle of judging. And that is, you know, you think about it, there were only 25 judges at the Olympic Games uh, out, of the, out of all the people in the world. There's only one from the United States. Um, so she would be a good one. Um, uh, one of my favorites, Kelly McCormick, you know, she was an Olympic silver medalist, Olympic bronze medalist. She was assistant referee of the Olympic trials and she's judged all these NCAAs and she's got some great insight and uh, some great stories to tell. Um, I think those would all be some really good people to, uh, to interview. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. So I wrote those down. I will be reaching out to uh, probably all of them. Um, so before Aaron kind of sends us off here, obviously I, I always try to say thank you. Um, I think I've really thoroughly enjoyed this one, Steve, just getting to hear how you have literally taken something you love and a passion of yours and turned it into a career. It's what, what I tell all my college kids, like I said, follow your passion and, and you'll be successful if you're good at yep. it. Um, so I lo- loved it. So thank you. Um, you know, so we do have our camps and clinics on our link tree. I think right now still the only one is the Clarion Diving Camp. Um, coaches, if you want them on there, all you have to do is email us or message us and we will happily share them. Um, we're not really asking for you to pay us to advertise them. Um, we just want to get some information from you to put them on there. All you have to do is ask and we're willing to share them. So reach out to us and let us know. But Aaron, take it over. Yeah. So anybody listening, just hit us up on Instagram or our email. We are both at the diving pod and the diving pod at gmail.com. Again, t-shirts and hoodies are for sale. Just go to that link tree, click the cowing robards link, enter dive pod at checkout. That gets you free shipping. Uh, but again, I wanted to say thanks again to Steve Volmecki here. Uh, one last thing <laughs> about springboards and more. There's one item on that 
site that is absolutely critical for every diver to have. It's very inexpensive and it is that diving board keychain. Oh yeah. <laughs> I got I got all I had. So that's what I give to my seniors as a going away gift, as a hey, don't forget you were once a diver. And it's perfect because it's it's inexpensive and it's it's a diving board and it's like you you know exactly what it is when you look at it. And it's just that cool little like, oh yeah, this is this is cool. This is a good sport. This is what I love. So I just wanted to say thank you. Well, it, it was indeed my pleasure, guys. I really had a great time and I, I'm happy to do this if ever you need me to do it again. A funny story about the keychain is I sent two of them to a friend of mine and uh, I won't say the country because then people probably know who it was, but he wrote me a letter back. He said he thought they were earrings. He says, well, how do you get them on your ears? I'm like, no, 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 no. It's a, it's a keychain. It's a keychain, not an earring. <laughs> Oh, that's too good. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, thanks again. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on uh, in the future. But until then, we'll see you next time.